God, we thank you that you're with us. We thank you that your word, Lord, your word says it, but you've proven it to all of us in so many ways that you never leave us, you never forsake us. You're, you're in front of us, Lord, going before us, and you're our rear guard. You are with us through it all. You've covered us with your blood. You've sent your angels to watch us. You are with us, and you have not abandoned us yet, and you don't intend to. We thank you, Lord, right to the very end. God is with us, and he's here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I feel the presence of God here so strong, but I'm going to get right into it. I know that we have some motherly things to do today, so I want to honor you um, by giving you your afternoon, so let me go right into the Word. And uh, I've been really excited what God has done in this, this series that He caused me to start here with Exodus. And we've been working on part one of this series, and it's the word Exodus means going out. It's been a going out. And this is part three of the first part of going out, of leaving, getting out of, getting out of Egypt. Who knows that it's time that the church gets out of the world. It's time the world gets out of us. And when we do, what happens? Why did God bring them out? Did he bring them out because he just said, you just need to be out? He brought them out because he was trying to get them to a place. He said, let my people go so they can come and worship me. He needs you to get out of the world. You, he, he loves you wherever you're at. And he proves us, proved that to us through Jesus' blood on the cross. And Exodus is a pre-picture. It's a prophetic picture of Jesus redeeming his people, and he freed his people before they ever worshipped him, didn't he? But the purpose was to get them to a place where they could have an encounter with him, to worship him. And then ultimately, in that place of intimacy, in that place of his leading, in the place of their freedom, he was bringing them into their promise. And the Bible guarantees us an eternal promise, one that can never be taken, one that can never, ever rust, no thieves can break in and steal, no moths destroy. Come on, aren't we excited that the Lord has provided an eternal hope for us, an eternal promise? But you have to go through your exodus to get there, don't you? You got to get the world out of you. We were born into sin, but we don't stay sinners. We don't stay in its system. We don't stay in its corruption. We come out. And that's what the Bible says. You know, Jesus said it. Jesus said, and I got my notes all over today. I feel like Jeannie today, sorry, but that's what she always says. It all comes together, though. We always say, well, somehow it all come together. But I got my notes not as necessarily in one, two, three here. Not that it ever goes that way anyway. But it says in Revelation chapter 18, verse 4, I heard another voice calling from heaven, come away from her, my people. Come on, this is the Lord. This is revelation. This is speaking to his church, speaking to us. Come away from her and not to be gross, but specifically the implication is here was the intercourse of the church with the world. 
because it actually says in the New King James Version, come out of her. And I hate to bring it to that level, but that's what the word says. And he says, my people... Come out of her, do not, take, do not take part in her sins, or you will be punished with her. You want to be with her, then you're going to suffer the punishment of her. We talked a little bit about that last week. The Lord will do some things that he promised he would do. He will judge. We don't major on that, but he is going to judge. He's going to judge the church and the world. But we are going to be outside of that because we have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus, right? I'm not going to sing for you. But I'm going to take you right into something. Man, I, I didn't even know what the Lord was doing. But I want to pick up right where we left off last week. The Lord's got something, I think, just amazing, awesome today. Exodus chapter 12. We're coming out. And it says in verse 37 of Exodus chapter 12, it says that the people that night, remember I finished off with this last week, if you remember, if not, you can go and listen, that they left, come on everybody say, left. This word, I'm going to do a lot of words today, but I'm going to try to keep it moving so it's not boring. We do a lot of words, a lot of word study stuff today, but I just saw so much power in his word. God is uh, on purpose of why he said what he said and why he did what he did. And this word left is this word NASA, has nothing to do with the jets that leave NASA, leave earth, but it's spelled the same way. Maybe they did that. But anyway, it actually means to pull up. It means to especially... The tent pins. You're taking up your pins. You're pulling out. We've decided we're pulling out. Our, we used to be here, and we're pulling up. If you're a camper, you know what that means. Time to go home. Time to pull out. It says that they left. They pulled up their tent pins. They went on their way and started for Succoth. I don't know how to say any of these words, so I'm going to say them how they sound to me phonetically. I want you to look at a few things. It says that they left Ramses and started for Succoth. And I was just going to breeze through this and bring you right to the Red Sea. And we're going to get there. But I need you guys to listen to what I started finding in the Word. This word Ramses was the, was the actual city. We know Ramses was a person, right, as well. But this city, they came out of the city of Ramses, and it literally means, by their definition, begotten by Ra, the sun god, or the one who gave birth to him. Remember, we were born into this world, but we are not of this world. We were born into sin, but God has called us out, hasn't he? He has not, it is not pleasing for us to worship Ra. But they worship Ra. Remember, remember that we read a couple weeks ago that Pharaoh said, who is your God? He had defied the living God, the one and only God. Because he had his God. Who knows the world's got their gods? 
Is it hard? Do you have to look very far to see the gods of this world? No. Mammon is a god, you know that. Before it was ever paper, it was a god. Wow. I want to talk to you today about the battle of the gods. Except the, the thing is, for us, is that they're all little g's. Come on, everybody say, little g. Because we serve the big G. The big G is no competition against the little G's. But as I said a couple weeks ago, and we're bringing this first part of coming out of the world together, that when you're not serving the big G, you're automatically, because you were born into it, you're in it, and you're worshiping, and you're serving the little G. You are serving the gods of this world if you're not serving God, just by being in it. You may not be bowing down in worship. You don't think you are. But I said even this, even this, watch me bow. Watch me lower my head in honor. Maybe that's a silly example, but we are still, we're serving. We, and I, listen, we can be Christians and use those things, all right? I have one right here. And this is my Bible. But the world can be serving it too, and, folk, and that's all they've got. But the Bible says that we're a different people, aren't we? We're a different race. We're just sojourners. We're here temporarily. This is not our home. This is a temporary place. And specifically, check this out. This is just the, as I did my study, they said this is just by coincidence. I don't know that there's any coincidences in God's kingdom when, when you're talking about Bible stuff. But the word for evil in Hebrew is ra. I couldn't believe that when I found that. Just found it by accident. I was just, I didn't plan on spending time on the gods here, but I realized that this was a battle of the gods. And it's the word evil. God was calling us out. He's called us out from evil, called us to leave, and they went to sucketh. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to try to keep moving with this. Please, follow, stay with me. I don't want to bore you. So, sucketh means booths. And literally, that was named after that because Jacob, before they went into captivity, before they went there actually freely and then became captive, he went to this place and called it sucketh because this is where he put his cattle. It means to shelter, to cover, now, coincidentally, the Egyptians actually, and let me just find it here, so I'm not paraphrasing if I can, if I have it. Maybe I didn't end up putting it in here. But anyway, I know they actually, here it is, they believe, this is how they believed in Ra. All forms of life were believed to have been created by Ra. Is that true? No. But it says that Ra who called each of them into existence by speaking their secret names. God doesn't like copycat gods. You guys get that? This sounds an awful lot like the copycat we know of in our Bible. The one who copies God. The one who wants to be God. And it says that they, check this out, that, that alternatively man was created from Ra's tears and sweat Hence, the Egyptians call themselves the cattle of Ra. 
the cattle of Ra. So he called them out. They were not cattle of Ra. You are not from the sweat and the tears. Now, this is interesting because the Bible says that the curse, remember we talked about this a little couple weeks ago, was the sweat of your brow that you were going to produce. The way you made it in this earth was from your sweat and tears. That was Adam's curse in this world. And it says that, that that's how they were made. Well, that's actually maybe not that off. That your sin nature, the old man, maybe it really was. You just got some things twisted here and who you're worshiping. You may not have your theology wrong that really that slave, that man who's under raw was made from the sweat and the tears, but he's not God. And, and, and the coincidence, it's not a coincidence, that they were sheltered in Ramses, that they were under, they were not cattle, but yet that sucketh was specifically the place where Jacob sheltered his cattle. God is taking us out, and it takes us leaving. You got to pick up your stuff, and you got to go. We talked last week about the, the speediness of it. Don't drag that on. When he says it's time to go, remember we talked about Lot. When it was time to go, it was time to go. It says the angels even dragged him. And his wife turns, remember, look, just looks. There was, there's not even time for you to look back. She was caught up in it and became, just as Revelation promises us, salt as it was salt. But God is calling us out from the fake, the false, the facade of the protection of the city, of the shelter, of the covering, of the falseness of this world. And is bringing us into the shelter, into his shelter, into his covering. God's bringing us out from that covering and brings you into his covering, but who also knows that when God calls you out, when it's time to start trusting God, we can feel very vulnerable because there's the city and that makes sense. And Lord, out here in Sucketh, I mean, you can get my own, you know what? You can figure that word out on your own. <laughs> God's fun too, you know, he's a serious God. He's also the artist. He's the scientist. He's all of it at once, right? And he's funny when, it's, when the time is right. And then, after he shows you that he's going to shelter you and you just got to trust him. In fact, they, the Jews still to this day, they, they celebrate this holiday and they actually leave their house and they go out and they go into a tent to remember this time come out from the comfort of their walls and their brick and their mortar and they go into a tent. A place where God was their protector. He's your covering. Not the covering of this world. You gotta leave. You gotta let this world's false covering because as I pointed out a couple weeks ago, that place, we can actually look at Egypt. It's not just a metaphor. We can actually see the results all this time later. There's not much left of where they came out of, is there? They left the facade and they came into 
the real protection, the real covering of God. And that's the first thing we need to do when we come out of the world, when we're leaving the world behind, we've got to get into the covering of God. Immediately, the first place he's going to bring you is to cover you, to protect you. That's what he does. And just, just some notes here later on in, in when the people fell away again, because we know that's why Jesus came, because they kept falling, Right? And that's why we have hope that even when we don't trust and even when we failed God, that his people have done this before, we can keep coming back to him. And it says in Deuteronomy 4, 19, talking about this time, he says, and when you look up into the sky and see the sun and moon and stars and all the forces of heaven, don't be seduced into worshiping them. He's referring to what what used to happen, your past. The Lord your God gave them to all the peoples of the earth. So God created the sun, the moon, the stars, but the people, the Bible says that in the last days, they're going to, instead of worshiping God, they're going to worship the creation. Instead of worshiping the creator, they worship the creation. And we don't need to get into it, but all the whole psychic realm and all of that, what do they look at? They're actually living by these things today. But it says in verse 20, remember that the Lord, see, this is why we, we have proof that what he was referring to. Verse 20, the Lord rescued you from the iron smelting furnace of Egypt in order to make you his very own people and his special possession, which is what you are today. He's telling you, don't go back. Don't worship the way the world worships. You were in that system and I took you out with a price. Let's fast forward New Testament. Jesus is talking to his church and says, I paid a big price for my people. I paid a big price for you, Christian, wherever you are in the world. And the things of this world will do you no good. It's a false security. It's a false shelter. It's a false covering. And do not worship them. He says in Zephaniah 1.5, for they go up to their roofs and bow down to the sun, moon, and stars. And they claim, listen to this, they claim to follow the Lord, but then they worship Moloch too. And this is what this, this, this third part, this is why I'm bringing this together of this first part of coming out of the world this is not a new thing where his people have also been mixed into the world and worshiping the world, worshiping the things that they worship. All right, let's just, if the sun, the moon, the stars is too esoteric for you, let's just bring it down to earth. Don't be focused on and absorbed with the things that this world is. Does that make sense? Because those things are going to fail. They don't mean anything. They were all created by God. Does anybody, everybody know Taylor, TJ, and Lena's daughter? Well, we had this funny video floating around between us, and, and uh, they filmed her preaching on a soapbox. I mean, literally on a box. I mean, and she's preaching, and she says, God made everything for you. Nobody told her to say this. But this is the cute part. She said, he made the houses, and he made the cars for you. Now, isn't that ironic? We would go, no, he didn't. God didn't make houses and cars. Man did. But how, technically, how would man make houses and cars? Except with the things that God created. See, even when man thinks that he can do without God, you can't start with nothing. The Big Bang is a lie. 
God said, bang, and it was. There was something. There was always something. There was never nothing. It doesn't make sense. You just don't make something from nothing. So even when the world finds ways to worship, they find ways to satisfy their sins and their flesh with other things, all of those things are things that God created, even other people. But he took him from Succoth. He didn't leave him there. God shelters us and he covers us. But he took him to Etham. And in Etham it says that they, there was a fortress, solid, enduring. The Lord wraps around you, protects you, covers you, puts a wall between you and the world puts a wall between you and the enemy. Now, if you look at this picture, it's exactly what Jesus did. The picture of Egypt and Exodus, the going out, is that God does something without you. That's Jesus on the cross and his blood. And he offers the door. And then you, as we read the scripture as we started today, you decide to leave. God does not make you leave does not make you leave the world. You decide to leave. Now, so God has provided the way through Jesus Christ. You decide to follow him. And then the very next thing he does is covers you, shelters you, and protects you. But you have to stay with him. And we'll get into that in the next weeks. You're going to see that that was exactly the challenge that they faced. Were they going to stay or were they going to go? And today, if there was a title, it's Don't Look Back Now. You got to keep your eyes forward. You got to know that God's with you. And then the Bible says that he brought them to Pi. I'm going to mess this one up. Ha Harath. Maybe that's all right. But it literally means the mouth of freedom. In fact, now today with Google Earth and, you know, and maps and we can look, we can literally kind of see, you know, maybe the landscape's changed a little bit over time. You know, it's been a couple, few thousand years, maybe with a storm or two harsh enough that it's changed a little bit, but there's actually a piece of land that looks like a mouth and it's right where the Bible says that they were on the Red Sea. And it says, and now the Egyptians, they called this area Pithom. Now, this very area where they were, Pithom, to the Egyptians, it was one of their solar gods. It was another sun god, or Heliopolis, a solar deity. And the Bible says, and you know what, let's, let's get to the get to the words and of me just telling you what it says. Let's read it. I want to start, let me just want you to pause there and I want you to, to hear this. It says, after they left, we go into chapter 13 and in verse 17, it says, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if 
the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Verse 18. I want you to read these words aloud. What's those first three words? First four words. Who led them? Who's in charge? God led them. God led them. When Pharaoh let the people go, Satan had no choice to let you go because Jesus redeemed you. Then you chose to follow him. But don't think that Satan's not angry about what God has done for you, okay? But don't forget that God is leading you. If God is for us, who can be against us? Even though there are many forces against you. And it seems like the forces against us, as time, as the darkness increases, the forces against his church are increasing as well. But God led them. Come on, you need to know that, that God is leading us. And it says that he led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And it says, thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. The Israelites left Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. Now, I thought that was significant too because then there's different wording in the different translation, but the Lord pushes you right to the edge sometimes. But he's leading you. He pushes you to the edge, but he's leading you. All you need to worry about is, as a Christian is, and the world will be always right there. The world is always right there. The enemy is pursuing you, but God is leading you, and that's all you need to worry about. God is in control. It certainly doesn't look like it right now because you just drove me to the edge of the wilderness. But, verse 21, read these words aloud. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day. I'll read it by myself. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. The Lord led them. We're going to get into a fun little battle, aren't we? We know the story. Get into a fun moment with God. Don't you love fun times with God? <laughs> Come on, God wants to be strong. God wants to show his glory. God is going to show his glory again. The world's going to see that God is God. And the church needs to see that God is God first. Wow. Ouch. And verse 22, and the Lord did not remove, come on, the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. Come on, the Lord's with you right now. It doesn't matter what you're facing. It doesn't matter what you're on the edge of. Might be standing on the edge of the wilderness and you feel like I barely just came out of the world. Still got the smoke on me, as they'd say the smoke of hell, 
but God is with you. And what I love here is a few points is that, and I've made this one, God led his people. Two is that he was concerned for them. Three is that he was protecting them. And four, he knows our hearts and will lead us in a way that keeps us from returning to our old ways. Back to the world and submitting ourselves again to the king of this world. Who's the king of this world? The Bible tells us Satan. Is he the king of kings? He's just the king of this world, little g, little k. And it says that the Lord led them. He knows he could have led them in a particular direction. Sometimes we're asking God, why are you taking me here? Why are you doing this? Why this in my life? TJ and I were just having a little bit of a conversation beforehand. I'm just saying, I don't know all the details of why and who, why he chooses what he does and why the direction and who he chooses. You just got to know that God knows what he's doing and he knows the way that would cause you to go back. It's what he said. And so when you're up against the wilderness and we're going to see the enemies right at your back, just know that God is leading me and that's all that matters. And he led them toward the Red Sea, the very place they're about to see God's glory. It says in chapter 14, verse 1, and I'm going to go through 14 here. This says, then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp by Pi-Haharioth or whatever. Between Migdal and the sea. Now, Migdal, we can look on the map now. We're not confused. It means a tower, but we can actually see that there was a mountain range of Migdal. And they're at the mouth. You can see the mouth standing there against the mouth, right at the sea. Mountains behind them. Talk about a rock in a hard place. God literally put them there. The Bible says he led them to a rock in a hard place. Why does God do that? To show he's God and so that we learn to trust him. When he takes you out of the world and you've been submitting to the world and you've been getting your pleasure from the world, you've been getting your, your money from the world, you've been getting everything from the world and then he removes you from that, he needs to show you that there is another way, not an alternative way. He doesn't want to show you an alternative way. That's what I think sometimes we can do as Christians. We bring Jesus with us, try to do the old thing again with Jesus. God does things very different on purpose so that we don't go back or even look back. And then eventually it just disgusts you, doesn't it? The things we did in the world. There's nothing in it for you. And it says, order the Israelites to turn back, right? And he puts them there. And the sea, literally the word that they use, sorry guys, I got a lot of words today. I'm just keeping it moving. But the sea literally means roar. We translated sea, but it's the word roar. And it was because of the waves crashing. I love how people, science says, oh, it was the Reed Sea. It wasn't the Red Sea. But as we're about to see in the scriptures, then God's greater miracle was drowning an entire army, the most elite force of Egypt, come on, in six inches of water. So whatever, God gets the glory either way. I don't care. But the word that I believe my Bible, not science, 
and, and history. I believe my Bible more. The word is roar. So I, you don't get much of a roar from a reed sea. You're going to get it from the Red Sea, the waves crashing. And I just, I saw this picture, man. God's leading you, but certainly doesn't feel like it sometimes because you got nowhere to go behind you. And it says that Pharaoh is on his way with his elite force to kill you or take you back, whichever, doesn't really matter. And you've got the roar in front of you. Just that, it, it, sometimes it feels like, you know, we say this in the world, like, I just need peace. I need quiet. I need solitude. I just need to, like, we just, we get so overwhelmed in this world. Sometimes it's just the enemy's got such a voice against you. It's like he's roaring and it's no coincidence that he's the roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour, roaring against you. But it says, verse 2, camp there along the shore across from Baal Zephon. Oh, oh, we got another God name. If you know your Bible, you know that Baal, B A A L means God. Baal Zephon. God puts you... Who led them to this place? God did. God led them to this place. The place with the mountains. You're not getting through there. The place of the sea in front of you and across from or opposing or facing he said, get by pi which means the mouth, position yourself in the mouth towards Baal Zephon. And this Baal Zephon was the God of the north. And remember, I said, God doesn't like little G gods. And we don't, know, we don't know exactly, so I can't tell you scientifically, I can't even tell you fully biblically, but some sort of a rebellion happened, right? We know that some sort of rebellion in heaven happened where Satan and a host of angels came and they left heaven, they were cast out, and set themselves up as gods on the earth. And, and the nations today are still worshiping them and their children of some sort in the demon worship. We don't know, so I'm going to leave it at that because there's all kinds of things you could look into. We don't know, but this is the point. They're not God, and nothing in this world is God, and nothing in this world that you worship will ever, ever save you or redeem you or help you. Egypt had put their hope in the God of Ra and in the God of Baal Zephon. This is one of their holy temples. And in the God of, on the other side, you got demon God housings here and you got demon God housings there. Let me just show you something real quick. Is this making any sense today? I know that we're getting a little bit deeper. I feel like you guys can take it. It says in Colossians 2 verse 14 that he canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities or the principalities, the powers, he shamed them publicly 
by his victory over them on the cross. See, Jesus didn't just rescue you. That's a big part. That's a big part of what he did. But there's a whole bunch more. I was just, the conversation I was having is, is there's so many elements to a marriage. You can leave that to your own conversations at home. But there's many elements to a marriage. But one doesn't negate the other. There's being the husband and wife in the intimate way, and then there's the husband and wife taking care of the home and taking care of the children. There's, these are all facets. So Jesus is doing a couple things at once. He's saving you and he's redeeming you, but the Bible says he's also triumphing. He's making a spectacle of Satan and his demonic forces who thought that they could make themselves God. And it's time for the church again to show the devil, not in our own strength, in our own power, but who's God. And the Bible says in Ephesians 1:22 that God has put all things under the authority of Christ and he has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. In Ephesians 3, verse 10, it says God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display. I love how the NLT says this. His purpose was to use the church, that's you and I, to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God's purpose in the church. Now, his purpose in his blood being shed for you was to save you. But his purpose in coming off the cross and rescuing us from death itself, says the last thing to be defeated was death itself. He made a spectacle of the devil and the forces of hell. And God, the book of Revelation tells us he's going to do it again in a, in a physical way. But in, the, in between, God is still looking to triumph, to stand. The way that God shows himself strong is through us. And this is something that just kind of gets lost in a lot of Christianity. But this is how God shows himself today, is through his church being the church. Because when we're just mixed with the world, when we're in the world and we're in there and worshiping their gods, I talked about it a couple weeks ago, we're taking the glory away from the Lord, but also as we come out though and we leave that behind and leave that old way and leave that past and we come over here the Lord triumphs he places us that's why it says that we are seated with him there's a lot so I'm it's a lot here but it says in Exodus chapter 14 verse 3 the Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused you know, that's funny because the devil thought he won when he put Jesus on the cross. Sometimes you don't know what God's doing in your life. You just need to let God be God. Because at the very moment where the enemy says, I've got you, I've got you cornered. Wow, now we're getting serious. I've got you cornered. I've got you positioned right where I want you. And there's nowhere to go. There's a sea in front of you that's impassable. And there's a mountain that's not climbable. And I've got you right where I want you. And God says to you, come on, you need to look at your situation today. There's no such thing as impossible in God. And you need to look at your situation today. God still wants to show the devil today who's boss. 
He doesn't do that by you. When I say the church be the church and stand up and tell the devil, that's not by you yelling down to hell. That's by you saying, I surrender, God. I cry out to you, God. When you do that, God becomes king. You are no longer king. The devil is no longer king. And God gets to show his glory. He says, and once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after you. And I've planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. Besides the fact that God wants to display his glory through you every day of his life, Every day of your life, God wants to display his glory through you being a believer. So I said last week, he's the light of the world, but it says now you are the light of the world. And it's not meant to be put under a basket. It's not salt that's meant to become unsalty. But if we are his church, salty and light, God is still shining today. But it says... We know that Pharaoh comes and it says, verse 7 of chapter 14, he took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots. And I'm going to breeze through this real fast. He comes flying down with 600 of Egypt's best chariots along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. And it says that as Pharaoh approached, verse 10, the people of Israel looked up and they panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord. Verse 11, and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. That's funny. That's what, remember they said about this nation? Oh, that's not what they said. Give me liberty or give me death. You need to be willing to die. God's going to save you. But right then and there, their whole thing is, I'd rather be a slave than die. No, you don't. You don't want to be a slave. It's better just to die. It's better just to let God be God. But God's got a plan, doesn't he? Come on, everybody. God has got a plan. And it says, now verse 13, then Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Come on, everybody together. Be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord. This is how God triumphs over the enemy still today. When we are restless, when we want to go back, when we retreat, the enemy's winning. But when we stand, no matter what, even in marriage, they say, till death do us part, which no one respects anymore. But that's what the picture, that's what Paul says, a picture between the church and Christ is a marriage. Lord, let death come first before I part from you. I'm going to stand in this ground. And if that Egyptian army, if that's your plan, is for that Egyptian army to kill me right now, then so be it. I'm not going back. 
I'm not looking back. You told me to set our faces. They had them. God positioned his church. He positioned his people facing. There's an enemy behind him, and there's an enemy in front of him. There's a principality in front of him, this Baal Zephon, whatever. We don't need to worry about that, but God positioned us on purpose, positioned his church on purpose. He puts your life, he's taken you out, and he's placed you. This is what I was talking about with TJ. I don't know why he does what he does, but he's called each of you to be who you are on purpose. And there are forces of hell that have come to oppose you and to stand against you, and it's time to stand still and watch the Lord. It's time to stand and face that thing, and God's going to do it. Because then God says to Moses, this is funny, (laughs) God says to Moses, now some of you in here, and maybe many of you in here, maybe many of you in here aren't new Christians or, or just on your journey, and this is to you. Moses, he said, verse 15, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Come on, some of the church... Some of those, listen, if you are just been started on your journey, then just cry out to the Lord. But those that have been walking with the Lord, you've been crying out and crying out. It's time to get moving. You want to stand still and watch the Lord. It's time to pick up. The staff was a symbol of authority. That's all it was. It was just a staff. He found it out in the, it was his shepherd's staff out in the wilderness. It wasn't anything special until God anointed it. You were nobody special until God anointed you. But those that have been serving God, God, who has, God has placed you in a position of authority. God's placed you in between some people. There's a family that you need to cry out for. There's some people that can't cry out for themselves. Some people that can't face that devil, can't face that Red Sea for themselves. And it's your call to stand in the gap between them to raise the authority that God's called you to. And he doesn't start screaming at the sea. You don't need to scream at the devil. You need to raise the authority that you have in Jesus Christ and who God's placed you to be. And it says, divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And then the angel of God who had been leading, listen, the angel of God who had been leading the people of Israel, God's not asking you to do anything on your own. You need to stand in who you are. You need to stand in the authority that God's placed you. But he, the Bible says, verse 19, that he moved to the rear of the camp and the pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. And God settled between the Egyptian and Israelite camps. God faced you. Don't look back. God's going to take care of what's behind you. You just set your face forward. It's time to get moving. It's time to be the church. It's time to walk in what God's called you to walk in. And it says he raised his hand, verse 21, over the sea. And the Lord, Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water. It's not you anyway, we've been saying this. But if we never start, if we never proclaim Jesus Christ, if we never stand in the gap for our families or our loved ones, then the enemy will still be the enemy. It's not going to be you who's done it, but you stand in the gap, you raise that hand of authority, and you speak to that thing in Jesus' name. That's it. In the name of Jesus.
And it says that the Lord opened up a path through the water. And then we know what happens. They go through, in verse 23, the Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and charioteers, chased them into the middle of the sea. And just before dawn, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw their forces into total confusion. Man, you just start trusting God. You start, you move forward. The church is the church. The devil doesn't know what's happening. And I don't know, I don't want to say this prophetically over this place, but I don't think he knows what's happening here because we're just a bunch of misfits, no offense, that weren't supposed to happen here. And I think the enemy's in confusion right now. Wait a second. I think, you know what? God's up to something. But by the time he realized what God was up to, it was too late. It says in verse 25, he twisted their chariot wheels, making their chariots difficult to drive. Let's get out of here, away from these Israelites. Listen to what it says. Verse 25, the Lord is fighting for them. The Lord's fighting for you today. You have to stand for him. You have to raise your hand in authority, but the Lord is fighting for you. And it says, and I'll finish with this verse. There's a ton in here, right? But it says in verse 26, that when the Israelites reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, raise your hand over the sea again, and the waters rushed over, and he drowned them all, right? They all, every single one, not a single one, verse 28 says, survived. The Lord will crush you set your face forward, you stand, you don't need to do the fighting. You need to do the standing and the walking. And the way we raise our hand, we just proclaim that the Lord is the Lord. We just speak his word. We speak the name of Jesus. God will do the fighting. And then it says, when the people, verse 31, saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians. They were filled with awe before him and they put their faith in the Lord. Come on. Let's all stand. Lord, we thank you. Thank you, God, that you've called us. You have separated us. You said, come out of the world we thank you, God, that you're bringing us out so that we can stand and, Lord, stand for you. We're representatives. Why you did it, that's you, your thing. But you have decided to show that you're God through us. You have decided to show the enemy that you're God through us. And, Lord, that means that we need to stand. That means that we need to trust you. The Bible says that you led us and you're leading us and you will lead us. So we're going to keep trusting. We're going to keep standing. We're going to keep walking. We're going to keep raising our hands up and speaking the name of Jesus into our situations and speaking the name of Jesus at every force that's tried to come against us. We thank you, Lord, that you will part in the name of Jesus, in everybody's situation, each of you has something the enemy has put against you. The Lord will separate. You stand your ground and the Lord will separate. He will create a path. And that's that line where there seems to be no way. He will make a way. There was no way, but then he made a way. We thank you, Lord, that you're making ways today in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. Amen.